Welcome to our podcast here at Hope United Church. To access the live stream of our services, along with other resources and information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk. First Corinthians, still I'm the same, it's saturated my whole life and uh, First Corinthians, I I can't get away from it and everything I do, I I see it, even when I'm (coughs) speaking to other pastors or tweeting stuff or debating with stuff or arguing with people, not arguing with people, just disagreeing with people or debating, Uh, the the scriptures in First Corinthians just come to mind, it's so over everything, I think. When I read it and I study it, I just see how much the church today and Christians today are like uh, the people in in Corinth at the time. The similarities are unparalleled in scripture. How how similar we are in nature and thinking and culture and how the church has became moulded by the world and everything in it. And it's, it's, it's astounding. We also met, no, and we were talking as elders um, during the week and then yesterday about things that we're going to be doing this year. I don't know if Fraser's mentioned them, but we'll, we'll maybe mention them tonight about some of the stuff we're going to do over the next few months uh, that I'm really looking forward to. Just kind of one of the things we learned, and I don't want to eat into too much time here, is one of the things we learned last year was that when we're in a book and saturated in it in the morning and it's it's taking over your life, and in the best possible way, it's taking over, well, it is mine anyway, it's taking totally over my life, and when I talk to you guys, it's taking over your life. Coming into Sunday night, you're not really ready to do a parallel thing, because you're not in that place, you're, 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 you're saturated in Corinthians, and then it, what we done last year is we went into the book of James, and it was unfair because it's not that the book of James is not a wonderful book, and it wasn't, not that it wasn't taught wonderfully, it's that, your mind is just so, you're still trying to go over Sunday morning. Do you know what I mean? You're like, Poof. no, so, so what we want to do is, is do something, you know, over the, the months we're going to do something different. We're going to be talking about faithful men or, and, and each Sunday night, apart from there'll be one interview with myself or two, depends on what it'll be. Well, it's not really an interview, it's just sharing thoughts and stuff. And then that'll be sandwiched between sharing uh, a biography in the life of faithful men which will be good in taking us right into that. And I think it'll stop things kind of colliding and I think it'll be helpful for for you guys as well. So please continue to pray about that. Okay, anyway, uh, let's move through this uh, this morning again. We're still in the same subheading, God guiding wisdom. No man guiding wisdom, but God guiding wisdom. The world is saturated uh, with man guided wisdom. Man guided wisdom does not lead to anything really it doesn't lead to salvation and if it doesn't lead to salvation it's really just saving up for a horror story isn't it because it's not leading to anything really you know it's maybe giving you a wee break in the world but if it's not leading to eternal life (coughs) then what good is it really you know it's just prolonging the inevitable Uh, and man man's wisdom seems to be the the order of the day uh, everywhere and it was the same it was happening in corinth and Last week we moved, we're supposed to go from verse 6 to 8 of chapter 2, but we really only get through uh, verse 6 of 
uh, two Corinthians, which we've been in for a good few weeks now. And Paul is continuing, uh, just to give an introduction, as I always do. You know, it seems it's only a week since we were in it, but uh, still, you have to give an overview again, just to basically get the wheels moving again in the message, you know. If you don't do that, then it's a kind of... It's amazing within a week how... It's not that you don't remember the week before, but the momentum of that kind of stops, so you need to get the wheels moving again. That's why I always do a kind of introduction. I'd love to go away and just teach. Who knows if the Lord will lead us to that and just teach, right? You've got to get through, just go away. I know I know. it seems escapism. No, imagine just in a way you're like, right, you're not going to work. You're not going to anywhere. Just, no, we're just going to live in, in, in a big house or live in church for... Two months and just up every morning, we just get through the whole book for a whole month. Oh, that'd be magic. Well, I'd love that. You, you would end up all right. <laughs> for a month. <laughs> You'd be brilliant for a month, imagine it, but you were all living together for a month, you'd be fighting and everything, wouldn't you? Well, they're getting on my nerves, and then you'd be teaching Corinthians, you'd be going, I'm sorry. And then you'd go on your nerves again, and then you'd add folks coughing, would even go on my nerves. No, no, no. See that cough getting on my nerves. Uh, but I think it would be amazing just to get through that and just stay in it. It just, you know, it's 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 when you get when it's when you go back into the world and stuff that things become a bit pear shaped, isn't it? In a sense. So Paul is continuing anyway to instruct the church in Corinth and their need to trust God and His Word and the wisdom that that Word and what God uh, brings to their life, and it can only come from following. The ways and the word of God it doesn't come from any other thing. The Corinth church, as I see each week, has become restless, you could almost say, uh, in their pursuit of godliness. They've kind of lost that first love, as it were, that initial thing when they were saved. They've lost it and they're very young. You've got to remember they're very young. And we have to also just, just, just add this. Uh, as much as they had the apostles, you know, we'd say, oh yeah, oh, but it must have been amazing because we didn't need to listen to Mark on Sunday. No, we had Apostle Paul preaching. Imagine that, guest speaker this week, Apostle Paul, followed by Wednesday night by Apollos. No, you know, you'd be like, oh, I would be in some amazing place. No, I would, oh man, just think what that would be like. But here's the, here's the downside of that. Know that there's a downside of these guys teaching and preaching. No, by this point, that by this point, they don't have all the literature that we've got now. The words not even wrote, so it's passed down word by word, word by word. So these people don't have the level of resources. They've got the they've got the the closeness and the proximity of the apostles, uh, well, Apostle Paul, and then real men of faith. No, no imagine imagine the, the man who teaches you is the man who actually walked with Jesus in the flesh. I mean, that's astounding. But yet, they don't have the resources that we have today. We're, we're wasted in resources, a lot of bad resources, of course. But the church in Corinth, as I say, each week has become kind of restless, if you like. Uh, it's maybe an understatement in their pursuit of godliness. And <coughs> as it lines up with Paul's instruction and continued instruction, and they're even using their Christianity uh, like another form of status. We speak about that, about the snobbery stuff, that being a Christian can elevate you to status. And Corinth was all about status and success and <coughs> succeeding and becoming 
a somebody in the community, as it were, because everything was all placed on hierarchy. So now they've got this form of Christianity and they go, well, we can use this to their advantage. We can use this to elevate ourselves to a better standing in life, a kind of snobbery thing, you know, and beyond snobbery, but you get what I mean. Uh, and what was happening is, is this was also happening, obviously, believers in the church and what happens when you follow man and the culture um, and know God's word. This is what happens when you start to follow man's ideas, the culture's ideas, the world's ideas, how the world values things, how they place value in things, how they position people. And when you start to do that and, it, and follow man and know God's word, you, you're bound to start to become restless and beyond restless, start to compete and measure and there were division going on in the church, hence why Paul was writing in the first place. Uh, and they see Paul's message is a bit basic. Isn't that what the church is like today? You said it was a bit basic. No, when are we going to move on to, no, this is, this is Dick and Dora 101 here, no, Cathy and Mark, this is, this is basic Christianity here. We're more advanced now, we're looking for something that's going to equip us to a higher level, we're looking for leadership. You know, that nonsense, we're looking for I-lead or something like that, no, they come out with this new thing, no, this new course that you have to join, you know. They, they even have things in church now, this is, oh, I'm no kidding, they do personality tests when you come to church. Oh, so you're a, and it's no such, such a manager because you can get all these personality to see what kind of personality you are so they know where to fit you. What is that go to deal with the Bible and anything? Your personality is totally irrelevant. Honestly, it's totally irrelevant. It's, it's literally irrelevant because we've all become of one mind and one spirit. And it's, no, no, almost, almost boringly the same. But it's no boringly the same, it's excitingly the same. Oh, when I was with the elders yesterday, we were sitting in the coffee shop talking and I sent a post last night. You know, one of the things that's just wonderful about being a believer, I, I'm sure you agree with this, is, is that conversations are no complex. Because you're in the same mind and the same spirit, you just get each other. There's nothing more frustrating you talk to folk, you go, they are on a different planet. You know, and you feel as if you're on a different planet for you, you know. And, but believers, they have one spirit, one mind, one heart. But what was happening here in Corinth is, is that they, 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 they're starting to see Paul's message as too restrictive. It's no elevating them in the world or elevating, helping them find their carnal desires. Um, and as I said last week, the gospel message is, the gospel message is a hindrance to your flesh. It's a real hindrance to your flesh. It's a real, it's a real uh, party pooper for your carnal desires, because you're going to hear stuff, if you follow the gospel, it's going to so be no about you. And the world is obsessed with it being about us, person-centered Christianity rather than Christ-centered Christianity. And Paul really still furnishing what he's been saying from early chapter one. He keeps talking about this right up to chapter four, and even in chapter four, he's not really changing. It's maybe not until we get to five and chapter six where he starts talking about the sins that the people are operating in due to this because they think they have this freedom that they can do anything they want. And Paul's really talking about this from early chapter one and they need to be of the same mind and the same spirit. Yet that's not what is happening. They are division among them. They want to pick and choose what they want to hear and actually who they want to hear, the type of teachers they want to hear from, which really is what they want for self. You know, 
See if you start picking churches, see if you start people pick churches and they go, oh, I like that, or, you know, believe it or not, there is so-called Christians that start to pick churches and where they go based on the craziest things. The, the most crazy things, no. You know, there'll even be some that pick it based on the type of car, that, oh, there are loads of the nice cars in that, in that car park. That might be the church for me. I mean, it's that pathetic. You know, or whatever, they, they just picking where they go and the, the, the craziest things. Uh, and really, you should only be picking what church you go to based on how accurate and how close it is to the word that's getting preached. That's it. And go to the closest one you can. That's it. Go to the closest one you can. And if you can't find one close, go a bit further. And if you can't find one as close as that, just go a bit further again until you can get one. Uh, Paul then continues to tell them that what joined them and that he's saying is, I have to remind you. What joins you in the first place? What makes you the same in the first place? Uh, was it the Holy Spirit that spoke to them through his word and know his own wisdom? And that's what led to the revelation of who Christ is. Also how the gospel is not about status or placing herself above others. But that all of them who received the word were chosen by God. This is a wonderful thing about the The cross is a great leveler. We have different positions in church and different calls and different gifting as God sees fit and that's fine but but we're all one in Christ and when the when you see the modern church the, the division that happens in the modern church is when you get hierarchy I, I speak about it a lot I'll just be very brief when you start getting a better seat because of where you are and your position in church or 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 you can get to meet the pastor if you pay more at the conference table you get to get into the green room and no, I've been in conversations with guys, seriously. I've been in conversations with guys and I'm like, right, and you know that when they're no present? They're just, they're, they're there, but they're no there. You, you'd be as well being invisible because they're not even listening to you because they've got their head over. I remember having a conversation with this guy. He wasn't even with me and he's looking right over as I'm talking to Vicky, Mc, looking at Vicky McCleavy here. He's looking right over my head and Isabel's sitting way at the back there and he's looking right over. And Isabel, see Isabel's the green room, right? No, and he's looking there and he's, and I remember having this conversation. I says, what is it you're doing here? I says, you're not even having a conversation with me because you're obsessed with getting into that room there as if that's what matters. As if getting that status and crazy. No, and that's no what, that's no what joins us together. It's no about elevating ourselves there. We're all one in Christ. And nothing man has to offer or nothing that comes from man brings revelation of Christ. So it's crazy to pursue what man's got to have a better life. Covetousness is, is insanity. Because you're pursuing what man's got to have a better life when man can't give you a better life. I mean, I'm not saying we can't provide and know it's for each other, support each other. But truly, you're not going to get closer to Christ because you, call, because you just follow man. And this is what's starting to happen here. Anyone... Uh, who is a believer in Corinth, and let's face it, not all were believers, uh, but them that were received their salvation from the Holy Spirit, no man, it was a gift from God, it was not of their own, and the Holy Spirit works through the word, and speaks and instructs through the word, and brings revelation, is what we keep saying, is what will continue to help them, and indeed us, to live for and like Christ, the minute that you start putting man's wisdom and top of Christianity, you become slowly but surely less like Jesus. It's that simple. It's not even, 
it's really not complicated. The moment man tampers with that or man looks and by that I mean believers, we are most certainly heading to do things outside God's will. I was speaking this week during a meeting about areas of our lives uh, and I think we may be touching on this tonight uh, and drilling into you a wee bit more. I was speaking this week during a meeting about areas of our life that we make choices and decisions or behaviours that we have not sought God's word first or asked if that choice or decision lines up with God's word. It was what I said last week, taking every thought captive, lining it up with the word of God. And the truth is, I'm sure, like, you know, as, as I was challenged with this, the truth is, I'm sure, I'm the same with yourselves, in areas of your lives where we can say, the word isn't really any part of that guiding my part of my life. It's not even any part of it. I don't even consider it. I don't even capture the thought when I'm making decisions and these things. It's, it's just no part of my life. And, no, it's like, you can ask yourself simply this. It's just, just, this is really saying it simply. Where are your life's the Bible knowing? It's probably just the best way to say it. Where are your life's the Bible knowing? And the area of your life that the Bible's knowing is the area of your life that you're not being like Jesus. No, you just cannot be. An area of your life or the area that you've not sought the word or about any decision. And it's these simple things, you know, you think, well, I'm just... Do you know one of the worst teachings and unhelpful teachings you can get? Jesus is in you, so he's always with you, so you don't need to worry about anything. That does not help me. Because I can just shut him out of my mind at any given point, and out my flesh will just cover him and just put him out of sight and out of mind, and I'll just run with my flesh. So it doesn't help me that when people say, you're in Christ and he's always with you and he'll never leave you and never forsake you, as if that's going to make me make the right decisions every time. It doesn't. Does it go? No, exactly. You end up just going what you want, or felt, or your feelings are simply did not think about Christ at all. Sometimes I say, well, what were you thinking there? Do you know what the answer really is? I wasn't. What, what were you thinking about there when you done that? And the majority of decisions you make don't lead to meltdowns or major drama. The majority, especially just we everyday decisions. It's not about whether you're having a cheese and onion sandwich out of Marks and Spencer's at lunchtime, or whether you're going to Subway, or whether you're phoning a Just Eat. So what's the world I'm living in today? I'm in, I'm in the building trade and there are guys phoning Just Eats at lunchtime. What's the world coming? What happened to a rolling chopped ham and pork in the back of the van? <laughs> I mean, where's the world coming? I'm, 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 uh, the, the word's not in your life. The word cannot be in your life. What is Just Eat? I was on a job one day and a wee girl was, a, a, a young woman walked by and she's walking into the job with roughcast in the house, this was uh, out in Clyde Bank area, and she's walking in, I'm like, hello you, can't remember the girl's name, let's just say Fiona, it's the first name that came into my head, are you Fiona? No, alright, oh, are you her daughter? And she, by this point the girl's just looking at me with bags and she's like, no, I says, who are you then? She's, I'm the Just Eat girl. All oh, right, I'm delivering food. I'm like, that's a different world. Totally unsanctified. <laughs> anyway, where am I here? Where my feelings? I simply didn't think about God or Christ at all. We just make decisions. You don't, I don't mean the simple. I don't mean that. But in areas of your life that you just think, oh, God, I just done that. And you just think, did you consider Christ in that at all? No, I didn't. I mean, think about Jesus in that. Just... 
didn't he think, it's almost like saying, I didn't think Jesus was necessary in that. He's necessary in everything. And any time we do that, it might not always result in bad results. You know, you might get a bad sandwich. But the issue that starts to develop for that is, is, is how you stop training your mind to seek in God in all things. You just think he's no important. And if he's no in that part of your life, then before you know it, it filters into other parts of your life and other parts of your life. And you ask yourself, where is Jesus in that? I didn't even think about him there. I just went with what I was gone me. And in turn for a, a Christianity is, it's really unhelpful to them who are no saved. Because to them who are no saved, you're not a bad testimony. Because you're making decisions and, and actions and reactions that don't really line up with being a follower of Christ. Ask yourself this then. We love these questions, didn't you? In the areas of your life that the word is no guiding you, how much of a stumbling block are you others? Or here's another question. How much are you an example of faith to others? Oh, this prominently being in the secular world, don't mean in church, but in the secular world, predominantly the workplace, for instance. How much do you switch off from using God principles and your daily choices and challenges? And I don't mean how much do you evangelise and spiritually GBH folk going to work and then going, you know what, I'm anti this or I'm anti this or you're working next to a gay person or you're working next... Listen, see you're working next to a gay person, you know what I mean? Just go with your work. It's not a political stance when you're at work. Go on with your work. You're paid to work. You're not paid to evangelise. You might have principles and that's understandable. I, I don't mean that. And sometimes we go the total opposite. I just mean how you're living your life on a daily basis. How much you're capturing your thoughts. How much are you lining them up with the word of God. How gracious are you? How patient are you? How fruitful are you in the areas of your life? Sometimes we can be really unfruitful but really evangelistic. I mean, an unfruitful evangelist is a dangerous piece of work because there's never any love in their talk. It's just correction and direction. That doesn't help the lost. It's how we're living our life on a daily basis. How do you make choices? How do you make decisions? Did you consider God in those decisions? Are they in that? And what was happening in the Corinth churches is they just started to omit God's word and, and God's instruction for areas of their life. And as they start omitting them for areas of their life, that the flesh and the carnal, they're unredeemed, the indwelling sin in them, starts to direct their choices and their decisions. It becomes a terrible test. I said last week, it's easy to act like a Christian in church. And get your Bible out and follow along with the Bible and underline it. However, how much do you seek God and his word and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us in every area of our lives? And where is he absent? Where is thoughts no made captive? We have to ask. And lining up with the word, where are we being like charismatics? And I don't mean following signs and wonders, I just mean charismatic inner feelings. You're just allowing feelings to guide you. You're just going with your feelings, your habits, your unrenewed mind. Proverbs 4.23 says this, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. And it's about keeping our heart diligent and Paul's telling the church in Corinth, there's a lack of diligence here. And this lack of diligence is making you go back into carnality and how you're living your life because there's no diligence, there's no deliberate living. 
and how you're living your life. You're just making random choices and decisions without thinking. Due to many of the Corinthian believers in the church not being diligent in internal issues and allowing the message, the word brought by Paul to guide them, their hearts or internal unrenewed self are now starting to run the show and call the shots in their life. And it starts to filter into other areas of life. The bad branches, as it were, are not being cut. I know Vicky's going to be starting with a woman, the fruit of the spirit. I think it's going to be phenomenal. And I know it'll be really, really challenging. But it's an area that is so important because if you remain in me and you abide in my word, you will work. You'll bear much fruit for apart from me, you will do nothing. And it's when we have that, you, we're in Christ, we've got all we need in Christ. Uh, Paul even tells the Corinthian church that we have all we need in Christ. But just because we've got all we need in Christ doesn't mean he said that we draw from all we need in Christ. Let me see, this bad fruit is not always evil. <laughs> and I, really it's not always noticed as bad fruit. It's only noticed as no in line with God when we take God's word and line it up with what decision we've made. If we make decisions and we don't line it up with God, and we don't take thoughts captive, and we don't line up our decisions, and we don't line up what we're, our choices and our actions, if we don't take them captive and line them up with the word of God, in all intents purposes, the decisions we make will look okay. <laughs> they just they, they look okay. It's not until you're lining up with the word of God that you actually see, you go, you know what, that is actually no line there at all. You ever told, said something to somebody that you weren't even convicted, whether it wasn't right, and you go, you th but see the minute you get convicted in your spirit, you go, oh, I could have said that better. See, when you're no thinking, you don't even, you're just like, oh, I don't care less. You, you're, you have no conviction at all. It's the word that brings conviction to your life. It's only notice is bad when you line up with God's word and Sometimes we have an inability to see the danger of bad fruit because we don't measure it to God's word. None of these things saved us. And the problem in the Corinthian churches is they're no able or they've stopped following Paul's instruction or Paul's word or Paul's message. Stopped following the gospel message. And therefore they're not even able to identify that what they're doing is wrong. They're no sitting in church going like, ah, oh, what we're doing is terrible here. Let's hide it and let's, we, this is no right. They, they're not even getting any conviction because the light, the light of the word is no shining onto their life to actually show them the error. You ever have a conversation with somebody and you're just like belligerent and they're just like, ah. Oh. If it's an unbeliever, there's no light on. I don't mean that bad, there's no light on. No, when it comes to stuff like that, but I'll kind of, Furnish that a wee bit more, because I'm not saying that unbelievers don't able to see anything. But often you speak to them and you just go, they, they don't even see that. And it's not until you illuminate the situation through God's word, if they're a believer, that they go, right. But at the time, they can just be totally, I don't even see the wrong in that. I think too often we forget our hopelessness. I think that's what it is. We once had, and in fact, I think one of the most telling signs of a false convert as they have never had a belief or a revelation of their own depravity. I look at some, uh, over the years, I've been a Christian a long time, and run about people a long time, and counselled a long time, and studied a long time, and psychoanalysed a long time, and all the other studies that go with that. And I'm still, I'm still amazed, or can I say no amazed, I'm, 
shocks maybe the word that when I talk to some believers and I just think, I can never imagine you repenting. I don't see any, I don't see any of that in your spirit whatsoever. I don't even think I've ever heard you saying sorry, never mind repent. And I'm thinking, if you cannot say sorry, genuinely sorry, and you've no got a repent of heart, I wonder what kind of salvation message you've actually heard in the first place. And it's, it's false converts. No, once we get into these faithful men, I'll tell you to hold on to your heart when you come, because honestly, you'll be like, oh, I need to question my salvation here. See, when you start reading Jonathan Edwards, honestly, you're like, I don't think I'm saved. Do you know? And I think that's okay. I don't think there's anything wrong with that whatsoever that makes you test that. No, it, it doesn't help if then you go depressed about it. But it's, but it's definitely worth lining it up. And, but the truth is that I think there's, there's definitely this carnal Christian, these believers or so-called believers throughout the world and in church. The church is saturated with them. But I don't think they've ever had any hopelessness. They've never had any hopelessness. All they've had is a hope of something better or they've come into their Christianity. I mentioned the North East last, last week. The, they must love me up there, eh? They must love me up there. Where, where they've got a form of Christianity, but because I've been there a lot and I know a lot of people feel that way and I'm like, I can't even imagine you ever repenting of anything. I don't even, I've not even heard you saying sorry. <laughs> never mind repenting. So it makes you wonder, doesn't it? Anyway, some so-called Christians or men have always been nothing more than maybe spiritual snobs or so-called guarded that they have probably never tasted their own depth of sin and therefore God's grace and mercy. How can you know the goodness of God without becoming fully aware of your own depravity? You don't know. That. How can you find God and know the fullness of God without knowing the depth of your hopelessness? Because see, if you don't know the depth of your hopelessness, then you don't need God because you'll just go alone again. And even as believers, we can forget our own hopelessness. And Paul is reminding them, he does throughout, the Gospels constantly remind us of our own hopelessness. Peter, as we went through John, he's seen his own hopelessness. When he followed Jesus at a distance, he was hopeless. When he went in his own strength and used his own ideas, he was, it led to nothing. But it's when he totally surrendered his life to Christ in all areas of his life, that that's when you started to see the fruit in his life and you see that with all the apostles and the disciples as the Holy Spirit came upon them their whole life changed it's amazing what happened in Pentecost isn't it like these, these men who walked with Christ for three years as soon as the Holy Spirit came upon them for us it's different we don't get, we, we don't get it at Pentecost it's not a separate event we get it at the moment of salvation anyway the problem that happens is that sin no longer convicts this is what's happening in the church in Corinth sin is no longer convicting because you're able to convince or they're able to convince yourself that what you're doing is no sin. This is what we see in church today. This is, we'll see this in the letter throughout as we go through that many of the Corinthians were sinning and justifying it. It gets heavy. No, and I will say as we move through this, if you've got young kids, no, there may be parts that you want to maybe question whether you would even have them in the room or no. It's that heavy about some of the stuff that was going on in the church in Corinth some of the debauchery that was going on, and they were justifying it because they were free in Christ, they could date and they won. This is, this is where they went. And they didn't even, they couldn't even line up what they were doing with sin. Because they just, because they're no taking thoughts captive, line it up with the word of God, so they didn't even know it was sin. They didn't even think they were doing anything wrong. 
Why? Because where the word is absent is where sin flourishes and finds an abode. Where the word is absent, sin flourishes and will find an abode. And many so-called believers seem to look the part, but really it's just surface tidy. But no real change. Just surface tidy. Maybe even be able to quote scripture. It's just surface tidy. There's no depth. There used to be a woman now called, it's anonymous, she used to call it this, a tinny rattle. That's what she used to call it. There's, there's really nothing there. There's no depth. Puts me in mind of the parable. And as I was studying here, the parable in Matthew 12. Now let me quickly turn to Matthew 12, verse 43 to 45. You've got your Bible, you turn there to Matthew 12, 43 to 45. This is a wonderful wee parable here. Uh, I won't get into too much depth with, it, depth with it. You could spend a couple of weeks, at least in this, these verses. And here is this small parable uh, Jesus is uh, explaining. And it says, When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. Then he says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the man is worse than the first. So shall it also be with this wicked generation. I won't spend, as I say, much time here, but just to give an overview to help the, the scripture and furnish the scripture and the mind that was going on and the, 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 the heart of some of the people that was going on in Corinth and what was going on in that environment at the time and uh, what kind of goes on the day and church and what we see and this is like, uh, here we have someone who has had a shallow encounter. This is what this parable is about. Somebody's had an, a shallow encounter with God. And he's had a shallow encounter with God and the evil spirit, the demon leaves. Uh, there's no abode there around about that. So he leaves and it says that the spirit goes and dwells in a dry place. It's, it's, without going all demonic, just getting all freaky here, you know, because it needs more time. Evil and demonic and, and, and Satan, Satan doesn't want to operate out in the wilderness. Satan wants to operate inside people. He, he much prefers using people because mere damage can get done then. And, uh, and what's happened is here, this parable is, is whoever this is in this parable is not a real person, but it's just it, Jesus is explaining it, that, that somebody's heard the gospel message per se. And what's happened is, is outside of their life started to get a wee bit tidy. They've been able to tidy up and get things a wee bit in order. So what happens is, is the unclean spirit then decides to return. And when he returns, he sees a bit of tidiness. But there's no really any depth. There's just external tidiness. It's an outward call, no the effectual call in somebody's life. They're not really a believer at all. The gospel has been able to tidy them up a wee bit. Our church has been able to tidy them up a wee bit. But really there's no any depth of change in their life. So what the, de what the demon does is it says, well, there's, I'll just use a bit more power and come into their life. A demon can't dwell inside a believer. A believer cannot be demon possessed. See if you're ever watching the crazy programs and people are casting out demons out of believers. It cannot happen. It's nonsense. It's heretical right away. Just call it out for what it is. I do it all the time and I see these stupid videos. 
And I just, I, 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 I get in touch, I usually get in touch and then I get in touch with the person who's doing it and I ask them to repent and just say it's the, there were one I seen just recently, there was a wee boy in a wheelchair, it was absolutely revolting, revolting, there was a wee boy in a wheelchair, he was about four or five years of age, he's obviously can't walk, he's lame, he can't walk, he, the wee boy is a cripple, he can't walk, and there were this false, heretical, I would say demon possessed guy, actually laying hands on the wee boy to try to get me to walk and the mother's desperate for me to be able to walk that she's getting caught up in the motion she doesn't even believe it do you know what the guy was able to get the wee boy to move his toe or something like that that was it it's horrible you see it all the time and no there were one i seen another day and it was just disgusting it was the, a guy was casting out demons for young women who'd watched horror movies he was the horror movie you're a horror movie i get in touch with him the only horror movie here's you you're a horror movie. You need to repent and you need to get off the platform and shut up. You're abusing people. And the, and the wee lassie was going, oh, and they were asking him what films he watched. Oh, the Exorcist, another man, had, oh, some other horror movie. And they were casting out demons of horror movies. See, these so-called believers in church, it's disgusting. Anyway, these demons go back. And so because there's no any depth to this believer, the demon just goes back with mere power and just takes residence of the whole person's life. But here's what's worse about it. Christ says in the parable, he says it was actually worse in the beginning. Because what happens is, is see the person that the demon comes in, they actually think they're saved. And, and Satan just uses them as cannon for them to just destroy things. He says it's actually worse. been worse than never hearing the gospel almost. That's what happens. So, anyway... It's, it's, it's worth reading it another time. Problem is, is they think they know God. But really Satan's running the whole life. This person was no led to salvation by the Spirit. There's the problem. The person wasn't led to salvation by the Spirit. It's heard the message and it's tidied up their life a wee bit. You know John Bunyan, interestingly, it's amazing that John Bunyan, when he first heard the gospel, John Bunyan, every second word was a swear word. Which, which gave me a lot of encouragement, right? Every second word was a swear word to John Bunyan, right? And everybody started to see, so right away John Bunyan changed, tidied his act up a bit, he was a, he was a tinker, so he sold stuff and bought and sell, no, and just very unusual for a reformer, right? Because these guys were educated men and no, came from kind of well-stocked family. And then here's John Bunyan coming along. He's a just crazy guy. <laughs> right? And he, he gets, he, he gets, he, he starts hearing the gospel message. And right away, hundreds of things starts to change in their life. He starts to dress differently. He acts differently. He starts talking polite. So everybody's like, ah, Phew, this John Bunyan guy is amazing. Wow, God is doing a work in his life. But John Bunyan tells you, uh, if, you, if you read any of his work, John Bunyan tells you, he says, what they didn't know is, there were nothing alright about my life. I just stopped doing that, but I was no any closer to being saved. But what happened was to John Bunyan was, is that John Bunyan started to love the encouragement he was getting from people. <laughs> How many young believers are so-called, who have only heard the, 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 the outward call, come to church, hear this, you're amazing, look at you, oh, look at, watch, this is the modern church, bile. Honestly, I just sounds like I'm having a go here. It's absolute bile, 
right? Because it's so unhelpful to people. So they start coming. They've no, they've no saved at all. They've been to two saved. You are looking amazing. I cannot, but you remember all that nonsense? I cannot believe the change. There's no change. There's no change. It's all tidy. I cannot believe the change in you. You look different. You look different. That's, that's it. You look different. Wow. Wow. God is just doing a mighty work in your life, sister. I don't know why I'm saying sister. It seems to be sisters because guys just cannot cope with that level of praise. Right? So, but women can cope with that level of praise, it seems to me. You know what I mean? Women heavily weighed down by sin. If we go that to that scripture. And what happens is, is that, to Timothy, right? So, and what happens is, is that they start to feel good. John Bunyan's like, ah, this is magic. This is magic. There's absolutely no difference in my life. I've just been able to stop cussing every second word and new people are convinced I am with the Lord. This is brilliant. So John Bunyan starts taking all the praise. He's like, brilliant, starts going to church. Don't know if he's walking like that. <laughs> but, but I've got walking like that though. All right, Bunyan. Bang on, my man. You know, you imagine what he's like and he's receiving all the praise. John Bunyan gets home at night and he's going like that. My life is no all right. I don't know Christ. Tidy. Thank God that, that, that then through the effectual, he heard that and he got saved. I won't get into Calvin. Calvin's life was quite similar. And Calvin was, Calvin was an, an, a phenomenal theologian before he was saved. That's how intelligent he was. And then he says this strange thing almost came upon him and he's like, wow, game changer. But all intents purposes, he looks as if he knows God before that. And this person was no led to salvation by the Spirit, but it was just a, a shallow encounter. Paul, to, and, and, and you, you might be asking, why am I saying this here? Because Paul is saying that is never the message you can bring. You cannot bring that message to the church. Because it won't help one, the believer become sanctified, and it won't help the unbeliever get saved. Listen, don't say to me after that, but is it, no, what about predestination? You know, we, we, we can furnish all that. That's, so in Corinth, they had true believers and they had false converts. They never were saved in the first place. They only had an external encounter and a tidy up. Yet many of them are, for certain, among the true converts. And Paul is telling them, look, you are truly being saved. You are truly saved. We're no saved by something shallow, like a mild outside encounter, based on what I said coming from man. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's what makes you different. That's what sets you apart. Therefore, you ought to be acting differently, desiring differently from them who are not. The lack of pursuing God was not just a hindrance to themselves. But it was warping the gospel that they were given to them run about them who were no saved. The church today is rife with Matthew 12, 43 to 45 people. So-called believers who look like they're Christian by the tidiness and order around them. Yet they've never been truly saved. Okay, let me read the verses. That's introduction again. Let me read the verses to start. I'm just going to start at chapter 2. We're only going to read these 
two verses. I'm going to read them, but we're only going to delve into two verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined, crano, to know nothing. Anything among you except Christ and him crucified, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. We've spent much time in that. I don't need to delve into it anymore. This persuasive motivational talk but in demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men but in the power of God this is the verse we spoke of uh, nearly all the last week verse 6 however we speak wisdom among those who are mature yet not the wisdom of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing problem is in the church today is, is and, and what was happening in Corinth is they were looking for the message that was the same as the message of the age in the church today we're getting the message of the age. That's why we're getting psychologists speaking in church, sleep doctors, really, uh, and all sorts of other adventure folk. Uh, I was at a conference, and do you know who was speaking at it? You'll not believe I, I, I don't know the guy's name. I can't remember the guy's name. He was the cameraman for Bear Grylls. Who cares? He's a cameraman for Bear Grylls, who's so happened to be a Christian. And all I talked about was Bear Grylls. What a load of nonsense. Help me nothing except to be able to pop a tent when it was windy. <laughs> Why put up a tent when it's windy when hotels have been built? That's what I say. Really? That's all I talked about. It was nonsense. He was the main guy. Really? This maturity Paul is speaking out to is... Is, is no necessarily a mature believer to an immature believer. Because that would just create more division again. He's not talking about that. And I mentioned that last week. When he's saying maturity, he's talking about them who have been saved. The effectual call through the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. Maturity is meaning believers. Them that are true believers who received the word through the Holy Spirit compared to them who have been Matthew 12. Only really had an external encounter and tidy up. Paul is not trying to divide the church, but unite the true believers to what sets them apart from the world. And sets them apart from what the world pursues. The church today, seeker friendly, for me it's no seeker nor friendly. Uh, the pragmatic church today, the modern church today. Uh, and, I, and I know this because it was our goal. This is sadly our goal. This was our goal. This, is, this was very much... Our goal, and but that's why we document, and who knows how God will use that in time. You know, we're in a, a, a an envy, a, 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 an envial position, if you like. It's a wonder because we've been at that side. We we don't we've not just studied that side. We lived it. So you're right in the nitty gritty of that, and one of the the, the predominant message that that comes because I know it because I brought it. Is that what you're trying to do is, this is insanity really, is what you're trying to do, and if you've ever been part of a church like this, you would have known. And what they may, and you, you'll know now, if, especially when you compare it to a Bible-based church, what the message that comes to the platform is, is to try to get Christians to become less Christian. I know, it's insanity. We're trying to get us to become more like the world, so that the world can feel comfortable in church. Is that no madness? That's, that's the message. 
The minute the church starts and the platform starts to preach messages that's no for believers, but for unbelievers to feel comfortable and believers to act less like believers, you're in trouble. And Paul is saying, don't start preaching and don't stop looking for messages. Stop looking for messages that's no in line with what the world wants than rather than what God desires and what brings you closer to Christ. And there's that challenge. That's why you've got to be determined to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. Because there'll always be a drive and a, a new person come to church, which is wonderful. We know it's up to... But trust me, we know this. <laughs> See, if you don't know Christ and you come to this church, we are no helping you if we don't just keep preaching Christ. Because if we keep preaching Christ, if God's going to... If God's going to call you and God's going to set you apart, he's going to do it through his word and the Holy Spirit's going to convict you. It's not going to be with my wisdom that makes you feel more comfortable here. It's not going to harm. And that's why we have to watch when we're bringing or we're evangelising, we're speaking to people. What we do is, is we lower ourselves to the standard of the human and, 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 and we think that's somehow great. That somehow then we preach, we start talking that stuff that's helping people on a level. What it does is, it, it stops them hearing the true gospel and it stops believers becoming sanctified and getting maturity. That's the, that's the two things it does. So, and it was your goal. It wasn't about separating believers from unbelievers or, you know, and we're not trying to point the finger at believers. We're not talking about snobbery here, which was happening in Corinth. We're better than you because we're believers and you're no. We're not talking about that. That was happening as well. All that's in the mix. But what happens in the modern churches is and it's obsessed with making everybody the same. It's obsessed with making believers more like unbelievers because it'll make unbelievers more comfortable. If you want to get a litmus test in it, think of the times that you go and speak to an unbeliever when you're a believer, how unbelieving your talk becomes. And the church is obsessed with now changing the message and the gospel message to suit the seeker. No, Andy Stanley says this in his book, Deep and Wide, one of the things that we like to do is play the Beatles when you come into church because people are comfortable with the Beatles. No, and they play songs of the Beatles. Some of the songs are some of the songs of the Beatles you don't want to be playing. But you play that and they play songs that you're comfortable with because it's worldly and they want people to feel comfortable as they come in because they want to make it mere world, as worldly as possible for them. But the problem is, is what happens is it's no longer about the believer and building up the believer and, and, and equipping the saints. Do you know what the church is about? Equipping saints. Do you know the problem? Equipping saints. Who God sends and who God brings if, if there are no believers and who we invite, that's wonderful. We just keep on preaching the same message and allow the same... See, what Paul's saying is the same message that saved you will save them if they're meant to be saved. Don't change the message to make the unbeliever more comfortable. This is the problem. You know that you know in churches, you've got... Actually, now, this is, this is insanity. Do you know you've got secret unbeliever shoppers coming in and telling believers what they don't like about the service so the believers can change the service to suit the unbeliever and make them more comfortable? The unbeliever's always going to want unbelieving stuff. That went over my head today. Did it? Maybe one day it won't. Keep coming. That's it. That went over my head today. What did it? We're just starting to keep on preaching Christ. Maybe one day the Holy Spirit will convict you and it won't. But what we're not going to do is then go off piste, go off the word and bring a message that the unbeliever's more comfortable for. Because what ends up happening is 
The believer ends up not getting fed and they end up joining and pursuing the same things as unbeliever. That's what we're seeing in church today. That's insane. It's insanity. It's the total opposite of what Paul's saying. Paul doesn't go to the Corinthian church and say, do you know what it is? I'm going to change what I say. What is it these folk in the world are after? What is it they want? Let's make the message really comfortable for them so that we can all become like them. The problem was, is because the word wasn't, they weren't listening to the word, they're sitting under the word, they were becoming too like the world. And in turn, that was affecting them who were yet not saved. It's getting the opposite effect. Preach the gospel. No way man's wisdom. Them who don't know Christ in God's time and by his choosing will understand it. If you're here either listening on the screen or uh, online or you're here in the flesh and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Saviour, we're not trying to make you feel uncomfortable and not understand what we're saying. But whether you'll hear it to the depth or no, based on no believer, you won't. But I have to say this. We love you enough and we care about you enough and we desire your salvation enough that we're not going to change the message to suit where you're at. Because your flesh will desire something else. Oh, we like that, you know, we like that. Do you know why we don't oversaturate you with everybody speaking and sharing their testimony in this church? It's, there's, there's a reason. There's a reason. And there's a reason and why we don't do it. And there's a reason why we don't have... God doesn't want women not to preach on the platform because he wants to be a party pooper. Because, and it's not just because there's some sort of law or order about it. It's because he knows how it's going to affect the spirit of people. Because what starts happening is... It's human nature to be drawn to shallow things. And it's human nature to be drawn to encouragement. And it's, it's human nature almost to be drawn to underdogs. And what ends up happening is the carnal part of your life looks for some less. And it looks for some shallower. And it looks for, oh, I like that bit. Are we doing, are we, you know, we used to do this, honestly, it's embarrassing. If I wasn't, if I wasn't saved, I would be embarrassed. And I'm semi-embarrassed I'm saved. Some of the nonsense we used to do in that platform, I cook off. And we would, but what we were trying to do is, is appeal to the unbelievers who had, a hobby or they liked stuff to make them feel comfortable because they were really uncomfortable with the gospel I would rather you be sitting I would, I would rather this all go over your head than no preach the gospel we don't want it to go over your head and it, it, if, you, if you're a clever enough preacher and a sound enough preacher you'll get it you won't maybe get it all but the problem is is when you stop preaching the gospel at all and this is what Paul is really Hartman, you see this in the church in the world, you're like, what message is that? You could buy churches and it's climate change, carbon footprint, all this stuff, trying to appeal to what the world's into. The Church of Scotland, where it's went. No, they can hardly find a preacher. No, they can hardly find a preacher in church, they're having to jump about. Anyway, Paul tells him this in verse 12 to 14, and we'll get to this in a couple of weeks. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, 
comparing spiritual things with spiritual. That's what we're, when you preach the gospel to believers, you're trying to compare spiritual things with spiritual things. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolish to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Paul tells them who are mature, who are true believers, that they receive the Spirit and revelation from God. And that's how they know God. Paul is not at any point speaking to non-believers. Do you hear that? Not at any point, as he's writing his letter here. He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to believers who are set apart, who have received the word, understand the word, because otherwise they wouldn't have been saved in the first place, that led to their salvation in know Christ. However, these believers are no grasping the gift because they're starting to pursue what non-believers have always pursued. And worse, they're using their Christianity to elevate themselves as a tool above them are not saved. Yet Paul tells them there is no need to pursue that stuff. All your riches are in Christ and I'll bring this in. I'm still only at verse 7, but I'll be quick. Paul tells them of what wisdom he brings. And that he teaches Christ, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the ages of our glory. Let me just say when I mean wisdom, when the message is the mystery. No, John MacArthur calls it, no, it's not a puzzle. The mystery is, is before you're saved, it's a total mystery. The gospel's an alien concept when you're not saved. No, you maybe understand it bits of it, but it's a mystery. But that mystery becomes a reality through the Holy Spirit when he calls you. We can't take credit for it because it's the Holy Spirit, does it? It's no man. More than that, when you don't preach Christ, you end up preaching your own message. And that message starts to appeal to the flesh and unbelievers in the church and unbelievers can then understand it and grasp it and the true gospel will never be understood. Just as I said there and I don't want to reiterate it too much but we're not going to preach a message that suits an unbeliever because the unbeliever predominantly wants a message that it's about them and about their flesh and what they can do in life and what they can become. Just need to have a conversation. They don't want anything else. But if you just keep preaching the gospel. You see them changing. They, they no longer want that. And if God sees fit to change them. Changes the message to suit unbelievers. That's what we did for years. And it no longer feeds the faith. Believers are now becoming weakened in the church. Because it's no longer that message. Now you've got a Christianity that's all about cheered underdog. No wonder there were so many Christians standing outside in their backyard and clapping the NHS. They were, they were red rags to a bull for that stuff because they think that's somehow Christianity. Oh, they're lovely. But somebody acting like a demon in your church is lovely because they can sing. They've got a tambourine. That's where you end up going because it's so worldly. The most common message in the church now is how believers need to get on board where unbelievers are at. I don't need to get on board where unbelievers are at. I need to understand where they're at. And understand where they're at. But I keep bringing Christ. Because that's what saved me. Churches spend their whole time catering to unbelievers. Making them feel part of. Bringing everything to the level of their desires and their mind. 
I, I love what we're used to, and it would be dead easy for our youth just to have, I nearly say disco there, I think disco stopped in the 70s, okay, right, okay, I'm out of touch, right, I've been out, I've not been in nightclubs for a long time. We don't, see when youth come to this church, you know what they don't get? They don't get a pool table in an Xbox, because they've got a pool table in an Xbox in the house. That doesn't mean to say that you can't have that as a side. But what they come here is they come and sit under the word, that's it. That's what they're going to hear. Okay, it's much more young and jovial and no, much more fun orientated and no, the trimmings are a bit different. No, and we take them out and I know they took them out and went to your part of mine and went and all that stuff and they done it. That, that's all good. But what we're no doing is, is that we're no trying to we're no trying to recreate the world in here. And then bring them all in, it'll just be a zoo. In fact, I know it'll be a zoo. We used to have a hundred youth in our church. You can't say you had a hundred youth in our church. You just, you had a hundred youth in your zoo. Because that's what it was. And the culture in there just saturates. So you'd maybe like daughters or sons of believers. And now they're terrified because see the thing is they can't even express even their shallow faith because it's getting saturated and they're ashamed of the gospel. Because they're very young in their faith. Because the culture that's come in is just absolutely obliterating it. Doesn't it work? So many churches preach in a message that they think will appeal more to unbelievers than believers. Over time what's happening is the message has got so warped and so out the word that even when speaking the message, the message is carnal, no biblical. It's all about success. It's all about becoming a winner. It's, it's, it's the message that appeals to the carnal man. It is. I preached a message at a conference, a conference, a man's conference one day called The World's Best Loser. I knew they wouldn't invite me back. Because what the message was is, see if you keep on telling you you're a winner and you keep on losing, where do you go with that? Except living a fake life, pretending you're winning when you're no. All these men, <laughs> the lions, we weary willy men, terrified, absolutely terrified. The everyone's standing up and going, I'm a lion. I know, you can see that in the conference. Where you get home to your wife and you're terrified again? Because you don't have any depth for the word. What are these wee men just going about going, I'm a lion, oh, I'm a winner. I'm going to have to start more than a roar. Just going to have to go back and actually start applying the word to your life. Anyway. The church is preaching a non-biblical message hoping to bring non-believers to Christ. How can you preach a non-biblical message and hope to bring non-believers to Christ? Well, it's only weakened believers. Turning believers into less biblical followers. That's what's happening. That's what's happening. My dear sister Audrey was in a church and, and part of church. And listen, we know I was part of church and the same kind of mindset of the church. Their own tense and purses like, you know, I was becoming less like a believer. <laughs> and I'm mental. I'm becoming less a believer because the message is no geared towards equipping believers is geared towards making believers less believing so that unbelievers can feel more comfortable in their company it's insane bad example bad testimony I'm, I'm just having to flick through here because I've got hundreds I will close the world can't understand the gospel message based in man fathom it out so if we preach a man-centered gospel it won't help man find God they'll still never find God 
there'll be a, a Matthew 12 believer where they'll tidy things up on their outside a wee bit but still not be any closer to God take it and turn it into something else that's exactly that's exactly what's happening in the church today and that's exactly what's happening in the Corinthian church today Paul's challenged them to stand fast in the word and just think you're no helping these people that are no believers they take what only God can reveal you know the church today is very attractive to unbelievers looking for status see if I've seen a pastor with a Lamborghini I ain't going to that church alright I ain't going after a pastor with a Lamborghini I ain't going but do you know what would happen I see an unbeliever an unbeliever would maybe go because he might think they'll get a Lamborghini you know, see when I watch the programmes and I see that, you no, know, I was abused by the church. You know, they just kept on taking my money. The pastor ended up having you no know, the Lamborghini. I was like, why did you go in the first place? Are you a psycho? Why would you go to a church where the pastor's got a Lamborghini in the first place other than you want what he's got? And then you go, I mean, there's no love here. They wanted me to do that. No, no. You were getting status at one point in the church. You were getting status, you were getting fed, you were getting told you're beautiful, you're amazing, you're special, you're, you're terrific, you know what, look at the difference in you, wow, wow, you're just getting, wow, what, what transformation in your life, sister? <laughs> do you think so? No, women weighed down my sin, like, taking any sort of praise they'll get, That's, do you think so? Oh, definitely, you just, oh, God's just amazing, brilliant, I'll get a Lamborghini, I know I've got to stick here. Why are you going there in the first place? Because that's what's paraded. And that's what gets taught. The more one's wisdom is in the message and projected from the pulpit, the more false converts we're going to get. Do you know why the church is full of false converts? Because the gospel's not getting preached for the platform, that's how. They're appealing to people's flesh for the platform. How do we know that? Well, the message of the gurus and the mentors and much of the church is no of the wisdom of God, but what? The wisdom of man is motivational speaking. It's person-centered. It's not the word. It's not the spirit speaking through the word. But it's man speaking out with the word, which starves believers. It starved us to death, doesn't it? Weakens believers. Stops convicting believers. Stops them bearing fruit. Stops them seeing the difference between sin and bad choices. Stops them, stops them being able to Say no to things they should say no to and yes to things they could be saying yes to. Stop some being overcomers. Stop some being able to cope. Stop some being having constant meltdowns and a million and one other things. Just stop sanctifying the believer. And eventually it just morphs them in where you can't tell the difference between a believer and an unbeliever. You know there are people teaching in church that know the, the, the greatest thing about this church is, is you can't tell a believer from an unbeliever. There's nothing great about that. If you can't tell the difference between a believer and an unbeliever, you need to question whether they're a believer or not. Do you think when Paul arrived in the church, you're like, I wonder who Paul is. Like, I wonder, have you seen Paul lately? Imagine Paul arrives in the church, right? So he arrives in Corinth, like, he tells us later, some of you are thinking I'm no coming, but I'm on my way. Oh, you must have like, oh, he's coming. He's not even writing a letter, he's coming physically. Imagine Paul coming, he's like, any see who Paul is? I'm not sure, he's blending in. Blending in. I can't tell the difference between Paul. I can't tell the difference between Paul and the wee guy that's just there because he's got to get a pie and a bovril at the end of the service. I can't tell the difference. What do you think? Do you think you'd be able to tell the difference? You'd, you would tell the difference the minute he walked through the door and you felt his presence. You'd be like, wouldn't you? 
Paul tells the church in Corinthians 4, 6, not to think beyond what is written. Don't think beyond what is written. Brothers and sisters, don't think beyond what is written. Don't live beyond what is written. Don't make decisions beyond what is written. 1 Corinthians 4, 6 and 7. Now these things, brethren, are figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn and not may learn and us not to think beyond what is written. Don't think beyond what is written. I'll not read the rest. Paul tells them when you start thinking and learning beyond what is written, you start thinking of yourself better than what you are and start pursuing worldly things. It's also where division starts, comparing starts, boasting starts, coveting starts. Thinking your life's in your own hands. This is what's taught today. And it was starting to saturate there. No wonder everyone seems to be in their own pursuit. Unity is lacking because people don't have the one mind and the one spirit. Everybody's pursuing their own thing. In fact, the message for the platform is about your individual brilliance that you're pursuing your own thing. If you start to live your life outside scripture, that's what starts happening. You start to pursue your own thing. So close. What area or areas of your life is the word no, your complete guide? Where in your life are you living beyond what is written? Too many for me. Why is God known that area? Why is he known that area? And the answer will be because you're controlling it. Or you're, just, you're trying to solve it. Or you're trying to fix it. Paul's telling those who are true believers. You're his. Everything comes for him. Don't need to pursue anything for man. He's already gave you salvation. He'll give you everything else you need. Then verse 8. But we speak, I'll just say verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew. They didn't know the message. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The rulers of this age, the people who are in charge, them in prominent places, them even who were supposed to be the ones who were wise to teach God, actually don't know God and have denied God. I believe that in this day and age, we've got actually teachers, heretics, false teachers, on platforms who don't know God, who actually crucified, were part of crucifying Christ, who are now teaching another message. Many of them don't even know God. Many of them are Matthew 12 preachers. Believe it or not, they're Matthew 12 preachers. They're, they've had their life tidied up outside and then they went onto the platform and now they're teaching a worldly message. Do you know how you know it? Because see when they, see when they start to drift through the church, look what they're doing now. They're apostatizing. Oh, I wasn't even a believer in the first place. I wasn't even that in the first place. Guys that were leading house song worship that churches all in the world are singing their songs. They end up coming out and saying, do you know what? I'm leaving a believer. I don't even believe in God. What was it? You had an outside tidy thing. See if you're going to have people out on the platform. Never expect them to teach a gospel message. The message is going to go pear shape. Simply they crucified Christ and elevated himself. They create their own Barabbas. Really? They crucified Jesus by dying who he is while promoting their own leadership tips. It's done in church constantly. Seems by them who are meant to bring the gospel message as well. They're the ones that's bringing that message. They're asked to bring the message of the gospel, nothing else. Don't talk of Christ dying. 
don't talk his sin. Instead, they shut him out, shut out the teaching, bring a message that's more in line with people's carnal desires, and they call it love. And all it does is weaken true believers. See if they knew it was Christ alone, through grace alone, by faith alone, that people were saved by that. Then truly they ought to teach scripture alone, for sanctification alone, to bring glory to God alone. We have to stand fast, brothers and sisters, in the word, that's what we need to do. I know there's always that challenge to shallow it. And if you don't know Christ as your Lord and Saviour, we don't know any other way of getting you to know Christ as your Lord and Saviour other than through the word. And we love you enough not to shallow it or make it something else or make you feel more comfortable or make you feel that you're enjoying it or I'm giving you tools for life. This isn't tools for life. <laughs> This isn't tools for life. This isn't to help you on Monday or help you on Tuesday. It's not about that. See, when you know Christ and he takes over your whole life, that'll take care of all these things. First seek the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our podcast here at Hope United Church. If you'd like to get in touch or for any more information, please visit www.hopeunited.org.uk.